Well, I think the the first thing that I'm hearing in there is just an, an acknowledgement that your kid might not identify with the, the sex that they were assigned at birth. So I think holding on to that is an important foundation. Um, another thing that I'm hearing is the assumption that what being an inclusive and supportive parent means is that we're doing away with gender completely. And I want to bust that myth and say that I don't want a world where we don't have gender. I think that gender is a, a beautiful thing. It can be a beautiful thing. And we're not trying to put everyone in um, you know, burlap sacks of non-binariness. Hi, I'm Sandy Fowler, and you're listening to Mighty Parenting, a podcast where we explore parenting in a way that helps us and our kids find more happiness and fosters emotional wellness, even while solving problems with our teens and young adults. We learn through advice and stories from experts and other parents, and I'm so glad you've joined us. So welcome to Mighty Parenting, where we have real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults in today's world. Today's episode is sponsored by Inward Bound Mindfulness Education, IBME. Wondering what your teen is going to do this summer? Wish they had more? More focus? More compassion? More patience? More peace? Inward Bound Mindfulness Education understands and they offer exactly that to our kids. Through innovative formats and teaching frameworks, they teach teens and young adults mindfulness practices, practices they can use anywhere, anytime for ease and presence. Teens come out calmer and better able to manage stress and anxiety. They build deep listening skills, learn to navigate difficult emotions, and increase self-awareness. They feel more comfortable in their own skin. In fact, teens consistently comment on how much they love being in this community, feeling accepted and supported by peers and adults alike. And this summer, IBME is offering multiple in-person retreats, six throughout June and July. Attending retreat is a powerful experience where your child will learn mindfulness practices with the help of incredible staff and supportive peers. Visit ibme.com slash mightyparenting for details, dates, and registration. That's ibme.com slash mighty parenting. Our conversation today is with Ray McDaniel. Ray is a non-binary gender and sex therapist turned coach who works with transgender non-binary questioning folks feeling lost while transitioning their gender identity. Today, they talk to us about their experience and what we need to know about gender identity to parent well. Ray, welcome to Mighty Parenting. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you reaching out and your message for parents because you actually had um, a difficult experience yourself growing up. Would you share a little about what it was like for you growing up and then questioning your gender and transitioning? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a bit of a wild ride. So I grew up as the adopted child of fundamentalist missionary puppeteers, which is quite the sentence. Um, But we traveled all over the United States starting when I was about 10 years old as as missionaries. So they were, my family was very conservative, very fundamentalist. And I think because I was in that world and was very, very sheltered, it wasn't even an option for me in my brain to consider my gender identity, to consider my sexuality, 
but I always knew that I was different and something didn't quite fit. Um, I also grew up in the South, so there's that added context as well. So I found myself being drawn to other kids, other teenagers that were considered outcast as well. And so I was learning how to express myself in those ways. But it wasn't until I got to to college and really grad school that I fully came out as queer and then subsequently non-binary. And as you can imagine, um, that didn't go over super well with my fundamentalist missionary parents. Um, and one of the reasons that I do what I do is my own experience with coming out with unsupportive parents and family, and also watching a lot of my friends growing up and in college come out as a member of the LGBTQ community in a very oppressive environment and not having that community and family support that they needed. And that is, I, I guess I don't even have words for how hard that has to be for our kids. In fact, statistics can tell us because the suicide rate is significantly higher for our, our LGBTQ community. And a big part of that is that feeling different, feeling alone, unsupported. And before we get deeper into the conversation, though, Ray, can we work on a little bit of vocabulary? Because we've already used quite a few words <laughs> that parents may not be familiar with, or I know my generation growing up queer had a very different connotation, different meaning. So can you start, maybe define queer and non-binary for us? Absolutely. So queer, you're absolutely right that it has been a dirty word and an insult for many years and still is in some parts of the country. But in about the early to mid 90s, the term queer was reclaimed by the LGBTQ community. And it's used in much the same way that we use the term feminist or feminism in that it is an identity, right? I identify as a feminist and it's also a field of study. So queerness is the same way. I can personally identify as queer, which is how I do identify. And you can go take classes in queer theory. There are scholars who are queer theorists. You can read books about queer theory. So it's both of those things. And to put an entire field of study into a, a tiny reductionist sentence, it's really about embracing fluidity and flexibility of identity and identity categories, specifically around sexual orientation and gender identity and expression. It essentially asks the question, what boxes have we put people in? And are those boxes actually useful ways to categorize people? And are those boxes affirming of people's whole identity. And I think what we find most often in sexual orientation and gender identity is that the answer is no, they aren't helpful. Um, and we've really forced people into boxes that may feel really confining to them. I like the terminology you're using there when you talk about putting people in boxes, partly because I'm just not an advocate of 
ever putting people in boxes, even understanding that our human brains need to categorize to some extent. Mm-hmm. But I've spent the last few years as I've learned more about gender identity and trying to wrap my head around that and understand it as someone who is straight, cisgender, white woman. Mm-hmm. These are just not experiences that I've had. And it it's a challenge when I first started to, to think about it. But what I've come to is something that you just said, which is why do we insist on genderizing everything, including mm-hmm. people? Yep. And I'm curious what you see around that idea that like how can our world be the world if we don't identify people by gender? Good question. Before I get into that, I want to finish answering your question for from before. I realized I didn't answer about what is non-binary. So I want to loop back around to that real quick. Um, essentially, if we, and you've used the term cisgender as well, so I'll just kind of go through a little spiel. Cisgender, that's C-I-S, is a Latin prefix meaning on the same side as. So when a baby is born, the doctor typically assigns them male or female, and we grow up and we might continue to identify with the sex that we are assigned at birth. And if that is true, then you are cisgender. You are on the same side as what you were assigned at birth. Transgender, on the other hand, trans is a Latin prefix that means on the other side of. So it means that you were born, the doctor, for example, says it's a girl, and maybe you grow up to say, no, that doesn't feel like it it fits. I am actually uh, a man. And that would be a transgender man. What non-binary means, and especially in my case, is that I was born, the doctor said it's a girl. I largely identified with that growing up, although I, I did have a sense that I was different, um, but I didn't, I wasn't able to find language because I wasn't exposed to language for that. But I grew up and the identity of woman felt fine for a while. But I use the metaphor of eventually it felt like a shoe that was about one size too small and that I could wear it around and it was fine. But after a while, it started to hurt my feet and I was getting blisters and it felt really confining. So non-binary means that I was assigned female at birth. I grew up and said, well, Female is fine or woman is kind of fine, but it doesn't feel like it fully fits. But I also don't identify as a man. Non-binary means that I identify firmly in the middle of that spectrum. And there are a lot of words for people who don't identify with either side of the spectrum of male or female, Um, things like gender queer or gender fluid. And those might mean slightly different things for different people. But essentially, that umbrella of non-binary means that you don't identify with one of those two checkboxes of male or female. Okay. And I want to take a little sidestep for just a moment into physiology. I Mm -hmm. looked for a TED Talk I had heard years ago because I wanted to link it in the show notes. And if I find it, I will link it later. 
but it was fascinating to me to discover that even scientifically, physiologically, we aren't just two genders, that there are so many things that happen within our bodies that involve both genders, people who are born with both sets of genitalia, or, you know, or they'll have, I, again, I can't remember this term, but the one woman who was talking, who identified as a woman mm-hmm. and, and had all the female reproductive organs also had some of the male reproductive organs inside her body, not on the outside, but then physiologically, it's like, well, which, which sex is she? Is she male? Is she female? And, and if, if I understand this correctly, that's more of where then the brain portion starts to come in because our brain is also part of determining our gender. So that is a a big question. And I think we could do a full podcast on physiology and all the things that we assume and all the things that we're learning. Um, Let me chew on that for a second to know exactly where to go. Well, and I, I guess where I'm at with it is not to, not that we need to have a large discussion, but maybe if we can take a moment here and just realize and acknowledge that there's just a lot more at play than what we were ever taught in our high school biology classes and our sex ed classes. A hundred percent. There absolutely is. And all of that, our entire gender system is based on the idea that there are two biological sexes. And really what we know from science now is that people who have some sort of difference of sexual development, also often called intersex, are roughly the amount of people in the world who are redheads. Or put another way, it's twice the population of Canada. Yet we've created this entire sex and gender system and considered people who have a a broader diversity within their bodies as abnormal or as outliers. But there's actually a large number of people who do not fit squarely into that box of male or female. Um, But yet, again, we've created this entire system based on this idea that there are only two checkboxes when that's not actually biologically sound. So let's talk for a minute about what happens to our kids when they don't identify with one of those checkboxes or they've been assigned male or female and they do feel the opposite. What, what kinds of feelings are common? What might they tend to experience as they're growing up? Also really great questions. So again, I didn't know that I was non-binary growing up. Um, And a lot of kids or teenagers might not know that, but other ones have a really firm sense that they are not the, the sex that they were assigned at birth at a very early age. So some typical things that they might experience are feeling alone, feeling confused, um, shame, 
you know, even as we advance as a society, there is still a lot of transphobia out there. And most of what we learn, especially in school and from our peers, is often this very binary view of sex assigned at birth and gender. So it can be really confusing as someone is trying to, to figure this out. They might not know if they can trust their their parents or their caregivers to express themselves, um, to talk about what's going on for them. They might be wanting to uh, experiment a little bit more with gender expression, which is simply how you choose to express your, your gender to the world, but not know how to do that and not feel like they have the resources or the family support to, to experiment in that way. So I'm thinking as a parent, I'm raising a child who I have a belief in my mind is male or female. This is this has been the way that we have traditionally raised our kids. Is there mm-hmm. is there something that I'm just not seeing, you know, as another option? Or is this about having some conversations with our kids just to let them know that we're a safe space? I guess I'm not clear on what parenting overall looks like when we don't know if our child identifies with their gender. We don't know if they're cisgender or not. Mm-hmm. I don't know what parenting looks like in that. And I'm, I'm curious, you, you work with people who are going through all of this. I'm wondering from what you see, what suggestions you have for us in parenting to allow sure. this, you know, allow space for this conversation, experimentation and well, I think the the first thing that I'm hearing in there is just an, an acknowledgement that your kid might not identify with the, the sex that they were assigned at birth. So I think holding on to that is an important foundation. Um, another thing that I'm hearing is the assumption that what being an inclusive and supportive parent means is that we're doing away with gender completely. And I want to bust that myth and say that I don't want a world where we don't have gender. I think that gender is a a beautiful thing. It can be a beautiful thing. And we're not trying to put everyone in, um, you know, burlap sacks of non-binariness. But what we want to do is encourage exploration and intentional engagement with gender to help kids and teenagers, young people, really open up some curiosity to know if they do identify with the sex that they were assigned at birth and to explore how they want to express themselves. So I'll give a a couple of examples. I have some parent friends who have smaller kids and one of them loves when people ask, you know, is your baby a boy or a girl to say, oh, um, well, my baby is a boy for now or until he tells us otherwise. And I think growing up with just that room for your gender to expand is, is huge. Another parent that I know, I overheard them having a conversation with their their kid who was assigned female at birth, asking what a daughter is 
because they haven't grown up with the word daughter. They've they've grown up with words like kid or, or, or child. And the conversation that happened around that was, well, this is what people typically say that daughter means. Uh, this is what people typically say that son means. What, which one do you think you are? And that's from a very young age, from about three or four. So exposing children to room, to space, to explore gender and consider that there are other options besides just being a, a boy or a girl or what you were assigned at birth is powerful. Another thing that I really wish that my parents had done was express explicit support for the LGBTQ community. Um, and this was, I mean, even before I came out. So I think that would give me a lot more permission to explore myself than not being exposed to those, that language or those role models at all. Um, another thing that I think parents can do is give children the freedom to explore. So I think we think of gender identity and expression often as, well, our child is going to decide on this identity and expression, and then that is going to be their identity and expression forever until they die. And so there can be a pressure on that. And a lot, like I've said, a lot of children, a lot of teenagers do have a very firm sense of their gender identity and I think parents put a lot more pressure on helping kids decide and helping kids kind of foreclose on an identity versus just embracing curiosity and flexibility and encouraging your child to try on different ways of dressing, different ways of being, even different names and, and pronouns as part of that exploration. One of the things that you said in there brought to mind the idea that maybe we can get hung up on the concept that there's a problem or something wrong. Like, oh my exactly. goodness, my child was, you know, my child was identified as female. They think they might be male. Like we have to fix this problem mm -hmm. instead of just letting them be. I mean, we're used to teenagers in general, exploring with different types of clothing choices and different activities and everything else about their life. It's just a new concept for us that most of us parents, right, of, of an age where this is a very new concept that they might also explore their gender identity. In fact, I had one mom who was very frustrated because her kids were preteen and teen years, multiple kids. And the idea of gender identity had apparently been brought up at school, in a class, something like that. And this mom felt that it was causing stress for her kids. She's like, it's already really confusing going through the teen years. And now my kids who have shown no signs of any type of gender identity, sexual orientation concerns are now all stressed out trying to figure out what they are. What mm. do you have to say to parents about that situation? 
I think a, a couple things. First of all, I'm hearing a little bit of this idea, which I, I've heard floating around of basically you can you can catch being trans or non-binary. It's a, a peer pressure thing or it's cool to identify as trans or non-binary now. And so kids are, are doing that more. I think the reality is that cisgender people don't tend to question their gender identity. Um, and there are a lot easier ways to be cool than quote unquote joining a more marginalized population. And so I think maybe where some of the confusion is happening is that this is a new conversation and it, this needs to be a conversation that starts way earlier so that there isn't this pressure to figure it out, to decide, to solve, but simply a celebration and a, a centering of exploring gender identity and expression. In, in this case, if kids or teenagers are feeling stressed out about trying to decide, I think a parent can help them take some of the pressure off, let them know that it's not so serious, that this is something that they can continue to explore and expand on throughout their life. They don't have to decide today that they can experiment with identities, they can experiment with pronouns and names and see what feels right to them. And so I think turning down the volume on that urgency can be really helpful. Not to say that there are teenagers who know for sure who they are and it would be appropriate for them to go through some sort of medical transition, but in other cases, it is about simply exploring and expanding identity and having the family support that. So what I'm thinking about this mom and I'm thinking that she could just take all the stress off herself. And if the kids are coming home and they're stressed or concerned or don't know what to do with this, because obviously the family has not had these conversations. So we can't go back in time and change that. This is mm -hmm. a new, maybe a new conversation for them or, or new in terms of it being directed toward their family, but they could take the pressure off by simply saying, well, you are whoever you are and we love you, whoever you are. If you feel like you, you know, you were born male and you feel like a male, then great. Don't worry about it. And if you feel like maybe that's not true, great. Don't worry about it. Just be yourself and do what feels right to you. So that would carry out to dress and names and all of that. But to, to just take it to that place of, like you said, this isn't a, a big thing. This isn't something that needs to be fixed. This isn't a decision to be made. This is just learning and exploring about yourself. And it doesn't need to be a concentrated activity. It's just notice your feelings. Would yeah. that be an appropriate direction to go? Absolutely. I love the way that you phrase that. And that ties into to what I teach and how I work with people, which is positioning gender exploration and transition as simply a place of self-growth, like any other part of our identity, 
identity development and self-growth. And when we look at it that way, it is less of this problem to be solved and more of a lifelong journey where we will grow and change into more of our authentic self as we learn more about ourselves. And we don't have to decide who we are forever right this second. That isn't a permission to not believe kids and teenagers when they say I'm trans or I'm non-binary, but it is exactly what you're saying of a parent's reaction being, oh, you you don't feel like you are the the sex that you were assigned at birth. Okay, cool. Like, let's talk about that. What are you interested in exploring? What are you curious about? And I think this even applies to to cisgender people as well. So kids and teenagers that might grow up and say, hey, I do identify with the sex that I was assigned at birth. Gender questioning and exploration is still an important part of self-growth for them too. Because we get messages of what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? What is masculinity and what is femininity? What are the assumptions that we're making about what those things mean that need to be unpacked for everybody? So for example, you used um, the example of someone who was assigned male at birth, who might go on to identify with being a man. Some exploration that might be relevant to that person is, well, are your interest what you're actually interested in? Do you want to play football or do you want to join a cooking class or something that would be more traditionally feminine? It might be saying, hey, you've been taught that if you are a man, you have to dress in these certain ways. Is that actually what you want? And so I think we can begin to have these conversations with our kids of, what are you curious about? How can I help you explore that in ways that don't feel so pressured and in ways that don't feel so scary? Maybe it looks like going clothing shopping and getting a few things that they're curious about trying on. Maybe it's a new haircut. Maybe it's playing with a new name and pronouns. I'm not sure. That can mean a million different things. But just the curiosity and the experimentation being celebrated goes a very long way. Okay. And we know that the more loved and supported kids feel, the healthier they are physically, mentally, emotionally, the safer they are. What about a parent who is afraid of this. They're maybe they're afraid for their child's welfare and safety. As you said, we have a world that is not always kind to the LGBTQ community. We had John Selbeck on the show who talked about safety concerns that mm-hmm. you know he watches out for. Maybe the parents, as your parents, you know, they have a religious uh, component to their beliefs. And, and again, they're afraid for their child. They're afraid for their spirituality, for their soul. What can you share with us as a parent, maybe a parent who is afraid of this or isn't sure how comfortable they actually are themselves? Because we need we need to give them a little space to explore too, I think. 
Well, the first thing I would say is that those concerns are not coming from nowhere. Like you mentioned earlier, there is a really high violence rate against transgender individuals. We know that there is harassment. We know that there are microaggressions that happen almost daily. We know that a lot of the systems that we're in are not set up to support trans and non-binary kids, youth, and adults. And we know that gender non-conforming children are often targeted for bullying. Those are all facts. And I completely understand why parents would be concerned for their kids. And being concerned that your kids will be rejected or hurt is not a trans-specific problem. I think all parents have to deal with the fact that someone may hurt their child, that their, their child will be rejected at some point in their life. And I think we're weighing, do we want to keep our kids safe in a way that inhibits their most authentic self? Or do we want our kids to be the most authentic lit up version of themselves. And we figure out these safety things. We figure out how to advocate with the school, with medical providers, with peer groups. We figure out how to get them the support that they need. We help our kids and ourselves assess accurately for safety. You know, there is a big difference between walking down an alley at three o'clock in the morning and walking into a, a crowded mall in a fairly liberal part of the country. You know, not all of the fears that parents are experiencing are valid assessments of the actual safety risk. So I think figuring out what are the safety risks, what does your child need to be aware of, and how do we keep them as safe as possible, while also acknowledging there's inherent risk in living and breathing and being a human. We're all going to experience rejection, and we're all, all going to be hurt in some way in our lives. Hopefully that doesn't include violence, um, but I, I want to kind of normalize that fear as not being a specifically trans experience. That's such a great perspective. And it's funny because we were just having conversations in my house. Uh, my younger daughter was gone for a couple of days and she went and she visited a friend of hers and they were out and wherever they were going, it was dark. She parked under a streetlight. And he's like, why are we parking further from the place we need to be? She's like, because this is where the lights are. And yep. we're going to park in a place where there's light and we're going to walk in the light. And he just kind of did a double take. He, he wasn't upset or bothered or anything else. He was just a little confused. And she's like, yeah, we were talking about privilege earlier. Well, this is a male privilege. Girls travel in packs. We stay underneath the light. We come to the car with our keys in our hand. We set our car doors so that only one door unlocks. So when we get back in, we're locked in safe. Like These are just things that we think about because we are a human being who is more vulnerable. And that's what I hear you saying is that we just take our kids as they are, who they are, 
and then help them find their way in the world as safely as possible, whether it's about their gender or a disability or um, a belief system or a job. I mean, there's so many things that could be issues for them and we just help them walk their path. I, I just think that's such a helpful perspective and reminder for us as parents. And Ray, I have one last question. Sadly, I think it needs to be the last question, but I wanted to just really quickly clarify the difference between gender identity and sexual orientation, because we didn't go into that. And I know many people really have them tied together as one thing. And my understanding of it is that they're not. You are correct. They are not the same thing. And people often mush them together or get very confused and stuck in their head about what does it mean for someone's sexual orientation if they are trans or non-binary and or their, their partner is trans or non-binary. So first of all, gender identity and gender is a felt sense of who you are. That is about you, your internal sense of your identity. Sexual orientation is about who you love, who you want to sleep with, who you want to be romantic with. So it's outwardly focused on who it is that you want to be in relationship with. And those two concepts are interrelated, but very separate. And the thing I will say about labels of sexual orientation is that Labels are only useful when we apply them to ourselves. And typically, when we apply a label, it's not a label that is so set in stone that there aren't exceptions. And what I mean by that is that your sexual orientation, how you want to label that for yourself, that is your decision, regardless of who you are in a relationship with. So I have known several people who identified as queer, who identified as a lesbian, who just ended up in a long-term relationship with a, a cisgender man. And that person is who they fell in love with. And it's an exception to their typical romantic and sexual template. So I want us to, to think about this from a queer perspective, which is to say, maybe the boxes that we're putting people in of heterosexual or homosexual or queer, maybe those aren't useful ways for people on the outside of that relationship or that person to label someone as. And they need to figure out what their sexual orientation means to them and what labels they're comfortable with, regardless of if or who they're in a relationship with. So much helpful information, Ray, and I know there's so much more. So if anyone wants to get in touch with you, to learn more from you, how can they get in touch with you? They can find me at practicalaudacity.com or at practicalaudacity on Instagram, on Facebook, all the social medias. And I invite people to sign up for our mailing list. That is the best way to stay in contact about what is going on and also to be informed about information about my upcoming book. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your story, for educating us and shifting some perspectives so we can be the parents our kids need us to be. 
Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. And Mighty Parents, thank you for being here. Please share the podcast with another parent and then be sure to pop over to mightyparenting.com and grab your free email series on how to talk to your teen. It'll help you build trust and a stronger relationship, which is going to help every aspect of parenting through the teen years before and beyond. And remember, if you're here, if you're listening, you already are a mighty parent. You got this. And I will see you next week. Mighty Parents, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Mighty Parenting Podcast. If you're ready for more, visit MightyParenting.com where you can get your free email series, How to Talk to Your Teen, with tips for communicating with your teen in a way that builds connection and communication. You can also get Mighty Parenting Plus so you can access our private podcast, which includes all the Mighty Parenting episodes, behind the scenes, guest highlights, and more. And of course, remember to share the podcast with another parent to support them on their parenting journey.